Good morning, church, and welcome to the season of Lent, time of preparation and movement into the work of Easter and an opportunity for us to explore God more fully in this time. My name is Andy Maddock. I'm the lead pastor here at Valencia United Methodist Church and have been so blessed to be so, uh, and I'm grateful to stand before you this morning. We are in a new sermon series that invites us to consider the idea of enough. When we were doing our worship planning and talking about how we might build towards Easter, one of the questions that kept coming up is how to answer the question that we all might have. Am I enough? Is God enough for me and in me? And so this will be a time for us to consider those deeper questions, to say a bit more about our backdrop and to consider what God has in store for us over the next six weeks. But before we do that, I want to center us in a word of prayer. Gracious and holy God, we come before you in the hope and the expectation that you show up in our lives and in our stories. Meet us here, that we might be able to say that the words of my mouth, the meditations of all of our hearts, that they've been acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and the source of all salvation. Amen. We are a virtual church, we are an in-person church, we are digitally rooted and we do a bunch of things. I want to invite you, if you've not yet, to pull a little tablet card out of your pew backs in front of you, scan the QR code and let us know you are in attendance with us in worship today. We are trying something new in the season of Lent uh, to help with addressing uh, uh, who we're missing and who is here and being able to celebrate that. You would help our director of Connectional Ministries to do that. But we are in Lent. Lent is a 40-day cycle that mirrors the scripture witness of the 40 days of temptation of Jesus. Jesus goes out to the wilderness to fast and then is tempted by Satan to give over power, authority, and worship to Satan instead of to God. And it is after this period of reflection that Christ is ready to move into his pattern of ministry. So Lent is an opportunity for us to be challenged, to give up things, to come to know God more fully, and to hopefully be able to face life's big questions and life's deepest temptations. It is how the church prepares for Easter. Now, there are 46 days between Ash Wednesday and Easter Sunday morning. And the rationale for that cycle is that each Sunday, we are still an Easter people. We live the resurrection experience knowing that Christ has died and has risen for us and ushers us into an eternal and grace-filled relationship with God through his work. But these Sundays in Lent are going to be an opportunity for us to prepare ourselves, some six weeks running on, for the work of Easter, for it to take root in us, for it to blossom in us, and for it to take life. Lent is often a season of self-denial. You might have Catholic friends or family, or maybe you were reared in that tradition where you would give up things like meat or butter or cheeses, rich fats or sugars or sweets throughout the season of Lent. As a pattern of saying, denying myself something will allow me to lift my eyes to focus more fully and clearly on God's love and purpose for me. The early church used Lent as a chance to kind of cleanse oneself of patterns of behavior. Now, it's not a cleanse. It's not a fitness challenge. But it serves as an opportunity for us to dial in our sense of who we are. But in the same way that Lent is a season of setting down, it is also a season of taking up. You might take on new opportunities, new relationships with small groups, new studies of God's word, or just pray a bit more. Ultimately, Lent is a work of the heart and the soul. It's just a series of days between a now and a then. 
But for us, it's a chance to center in deep questions about being enough and to know that God is present with us in the midst of our story and in the midst of our journey. So let's talk about enough. I joked with the worship team uh, after a Credimus series for uh, six or seven weeks in January and early February that I was going to have everybody who comes up here to do the announcements introduce it as enough comes from an old Welsh word, enough, which means to... No. But the challenge to this series is that you and I each have an understanding of enough, and yet it is an amorphous term that means something different to all of us. At its basic sense, enough means adequate or sufficient. It has its root in mathematics about a completion of a series. When you've done the right number of things as expected, that is enough. But enough has a subjective quality to it about how we're going to move through our world and experience it. The questions that we ask each other about enough belie that fact. Are you feeling well enough? Have you had enough to eat? Is life really just enough for you right now? I've had more than enough of the evening news. Honey, take the kids. I can't, I can't take any more. I've had enough today. We use enough in these personal metrics for how we experience the world. It is a subjective quantity and expectation. And when we in the church begin to look at what it means to have enough, we can ask some big questions, not just about our pocketbooks and our lives and its pattern of activity and what we are doing to be about the busyness of God's life and work, but about sufficiency and providence ask deeper questions about the ideas that are at the root of who we are. It's why I like the the shift that we've made. For seven weeks, we talked about raising our eyes to see our patterns and our credentials as a church and the seven things we believe to be series. And now and enough, the image behind me and in front of you has changed to these groups of mirrors because Lent is a season of introspection where I get to ask of myself, am I enough? It's a chance to see reflections of God's work in the world to say, is God doing enough by my own metrics and value? But here's what I like about our set. I think that God's work in the world is much more like the dangling mirrors than the mirrors upon the wall. The mirror upon the wall has a fixed location. I have to walk up to it to look and see me. Hey, good looking, good morning. The hanging mirrors, on the other hand, are constantly in motion. They move at the whim of the fans. When we open the doors, when we come and go, when we walk by, and they gently shift, almost like a Jesus disco ball of possibility. (laughs) That's, for me, how God works. Never in the way that is expected and static, but in a way where I hope to just catch glimpses of glory. And then it moves on. Because that means for me that the glory of God is shifting and ever moving in the world and I need to do a better job of keeping up with that movement, that spirit, and that energy. Let's talk about enough. And we're going to start leaning on to the grace and forgiveness of some of our older members because we're going to start with old enough to know better. How many of you have heard that phrase in parenting or lifted it up in this last week? Now, I want to get to the heart of this to talk about wisdom, but this old enough to know better is an important part of my experience and formation. And as a parent to Jackson, I've seen much the same. Because my mom tells experiences and stories of me having been 
a big kid. And so when she would take me out in public, rare occurrence I know, she'd take me out and I would inevitably misbehave and somebody would say to her, isn't your son old enough to know better? Why can't you keep your seven-year-old under control? And my mom would have to say, because he's three. I don't know what to tell you. He's acting his age, and no, he is not old enough to know better. Old enough to know better. What does it mean to find wisdom in the season of Lent? Well, let's start with God's Word. And wisdom literature in the Old Testament is rooted at its most deepest point in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 3 talks specifically about wisdom and how we might know her. And this is what it reads. Blessed are those who find wisdom, those who gain understanding. For she is more profitable than silver and yields better returns than gold. She's more precious than rubies and nothing you can desire compares with her. Long life is in her right hand and in her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are pleasant ways and all her paths are peace. She's a tree of life. To those who take hold of her, those who hold her fast will be blessed. By wisdom, the Lord laid the earth's foundations. By understanding, he set the very heavens in place. By his knowledge, the watery depths were divided, and the clouds let drop the dew. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Now, God is oftentimes providential, and I chose this text that ended with the dropping of the dew from heavens well before we knew the weather patterns from this last week. God works out that way. But as we talk about wisdom and what God is doing in and through us and how we learn about enough in life, one of the truths that Scripture leans on is that wisdom is produced with age and experience. That's kind of how we think about it. We might look at young people and say, you have a real wise soul about you, but wisdom in large part, we affirm, is being taught by patterns of life and learning from them. If you are succeeding, why? And what more can you do with it? If you are failing, what might you learn from that experience and do something different or new so that that pattern changes? The earliest learning we have that we call wisdom is to reach up and touch a hot surface or a hot pot, to pull our hand back and to realize that is not an experience I want to have again, and so I change my pattern in life, because one of the ways we learn wisdom is by consequence from action, to realize that there's accountability in the pattern of wisdom. It's not just memorizing a list of what we ought to do and ought to be. It is the lived experience and the spiritual work of tending the field of our lives and hopes and saying, what can I learn from my experience of church, of God, of the world that surrounds me that I might grow in wisdom? This pattern from Proverbs sets up a pretty high bar for wisdom. It talks about its precious value. We have a praise refrain. Lord, you are more precious than silver. Lord, you are more costly than gold. Lord, you are more beautiful than diamonds, and nothing I desire compares with you. It comes right out of this lesson from Proverbs. The value of the lessons learned from good soul tending and leaning into and learning from consequence, success, and failure is worth more 
than anything else we desire. When King Solomon is offered his one great desire, it is not wealth, it is not length of life, it is wisdom first. It's of pinnacle value. Why? Because it is a way of life and peace. It talks about the idea that in wisdom's right hand is held life, and it's a pathway that leads to peace and possibility. And in the midst of that peace, we are granted this beautiful value, this sacred opportunity to give life. It's what protects us. It's why everybody on Facebook this last week in the rain has posted to your fellow Southern Californians, drive slower, get there alive. Because from wisdom, we have learned as a people that Southern Californians do not know how to drive on wet streets. And as a part of that, we've learned the struggle, the weight of our infrastructure with a storm like we've had. Maybe in your home, like mine, you found new leaks. Or like in this sacred space. Places where water got in where you never thought it would because of the sheer volume of it experienced in this last week. Maybe you have a deep connection with those who are so deeply affected at the RV park this morning. RVs are literally washing away from the erosion because in their experience, the river had never come that high. Our experience teaches us something about how we might survive and thrive together. And one of the first teachings of wisdom is that violence and conflict are a threat to life. We see that in the Ukraine. We see that on our anxiety about global politics and indeed how we treat one another. Life and peace are held by wisdom. But more than that, wisdom can be the tree of life which we cling to. It's a source of healing and optimism, of possibility. The image is, is that the time given for trees to grow is the same of wisdom growing in the individual as we age, that we have shade to offer, we have fruit to offer, we have providence to offer to those who gather to us in our wisdom. And the, third piece that Prover- or the fourth piece that Proverbs talks about is that wisdom is full of creative power. It says it is with wisdom's work that the very fabric of the universe is created. Wisdom ought not just remind you of what not to do. Wisdom ought to motivate you in patterns of creativity, hope, and possibility. So all of this being said, in a season of enough, here's my vision for what church is. A church is a place of wisdom. Intergenerational network of sharing and transforming. It's not a place for one people. It's not even a place for homogenous people who look alike, think alike, talk alike, and believe alike. The church is a place where our experience, that sacred value, life, and indeed healing and creativity come together out of a mutually shared experience. We come together to offer that sense of, I am old enough to know better, and so let me help shape you. You're old enough to know better, so help me to know God through you. The church is a place where the load is shared and where our experience of enough is either relieved by or enhanced by the church. 
Those times when we come to the experience of worship, our small group, or just prayer, and we feel like we have had enough, a church of wisdom is a place that helps to carry the load. That will take it when you've reached your cap and walk the path with you. Likewise, when you are feeling unfulfilled, when you are feeling empty and alone, the Church of Wisdom is a place that fills that cup so that you might know strength for the journey. That's my vision for a church that is enough. So how do we grow in wisdom in the season of Lent? If it's soul-tending work that allows us to, to grow in God's grace, I have some suggestions about what we might do with the next six weeks together. The first is set something down. I started with the classic idea of Lent being a time of fasting. We can all set something aside for the sake of growing in God's grace and wisdom. What do you need to set down this Lent? Is it a pattern of life? Is it something that you enjoy too much at the expense of other opportunities? Is it just something that you realize, if I set this aside, if but for a bit, it might help remind me of God's work in our lives? Readers of Bishop Donnie Escobedo's Frank's book, Give It Up, are feeling very challenged this morning because the first week is giving up the mirrors and we've surrounded you with them. But each glimpse of these is an opportunity to say, is vanity a part of how I'm wired? Do I care more about how I look to the world than how the world looks to me for love, hope, and purpose? What do we need to set aside in Lent? The second thing you can do is pick something up. It's its inverse. I believe Lent is a season of plenty, and it shapes us when we think about what do we need to pick up this Lent? What do we need to take on, try on, or do for the sake of growing towards Easter in a more wise and healthy way? Do we need to take on new relationships? Do we need to take on new patterns of prayer or study of God's word or maybe just one of our book studies? Do we need to maybe trust and be vulnerable enough to say, I, you know, I don't know if family camp is for me, but I want to sign up and be a part of it. Use your QR code this afternoon. Is it something that we can do to take up rather than fasting and setting aside that in doing it with repetition and purpose in the season that God will speak to us? The third thing is ask good questions. What do you need to ask of another this Lent? What do you need to see in the world or hear from the world that will fill your enough cup a little bit more? Where do you need to experience God answering important and deep questions that you have about how the world is wired and how it is you will work? I'm going to push the pause button and just share a story. It's been so close to my heart for the last few hours. Yesterday, when we were preparing to uh, postpone the senior lunch, which was a wise choice, by the way, come join us this Saturday instead, I got a call that a homeless woman had found her way into our fellowship hall through a door that hadn't closed all the way. She was wet through all of her clothes, in tears, uncertain what to do, and the church member who'd found her was looking for some help and wisdom. I said, well, let me come over. I threw on some clothes and came over and just sat in that kitchen. This young lady came up to me, introduced herself, gave me her real name, and then said this, but most people call me Jesus. And I said, okay, I recognize that. I preached on that last Sunday with the sheep and the goats. 
Jesus invited me to ask of her how she sees and experiences the world. What she needed was some food and some reassurance that life wasn't just about the cold and the wet that she'd been experiencing for the last 24 hours or so. So we sat in the kitchen, and she dried her clothes. She left here in a Here for Good t-shirt and, and a, one of my coats and one of my sunglasses and one of our umbrellas. Why? Because I have enough. I can share. Jesus took it with her. But out of that experience, what I witnessed, what I bore witness to in asking these questions about, God, what do I need to see this week, this month, this year in my life and the season of Lent? The first thing she did was take that radio in our kitchen here at the church and put it closer to her, find the Christian radio station and just pump that thing up and sang her heart song, her heart cry that often had little to do with the words that were actually on the radio. She sung about her pain. She sung about her suffering. She sung about a Jesus Christ whose scars had the opportunity to heal her obvious brokenness. She ate her cup of noodles, her cornbread, her cupcake. And then she just asked for a ride. And I'm so grateful for partners in ministry like Bridge to Home. The announcement is perhaps incomplete. We said Bridge to Home is inviting people to bring meals. This is a pattern of commitment of the life of this church that the second and, third, uh, second and fourth Thursday of the month, we will be the hands of Christ and provide food. That's the pattern. And so this Tuesday is our next chance to support them with that good work. But we were able to coordinate dropping her off at Bridge to Home, and I loaded Jesus up in my minivan. First thing she did was ask me to change the radio to the message so we could listen to it on Sirius XM. The second thing she asked of me is, where's your equalizer on this? I said, okay. So she's playing around with the settings, pushing the bass up, bringing the trouble down, bringing it, setting it just like she needed in the eight, ten minutes we were going to drive together and our paths were going to cross. She turned my radio up about as it loud as it gets in that little Pacifica. And she said, this is the only way to really just feel and experience the music. As she was singing these praise songs as we just spent this time together. What a gift to be able to hand her off to community partners that kept her dry and safe. She was a reminder to me that in the midst of all of the headache I was experiencing with the weather and cancellations and travel plans and all of the things, that God might put somebody in my path to remind me of who we are. What do you need to ask of another this Lent? What do you need to ask of God this Lent? Here's the challenge when you look to ask good questions, is you have to embrace tough answers. What do you need to hear? Maybe even hear again this Lent. Is it a reminder of who you are and whose you are? Is it a reminder of the work of Christ and the sacrifice of the cross on Good Friday? Is it the empty tomb and the sufficiency of Mary and Mary alone at the resurrection that you need to hear? Do you need to know that you're the kind of person for whom the resurrection is enough and made complete in you? Do you need to hear that God has a challenge for you to do more, be more, and to grow in faith so that you can truly say, God is enough for me? Next Sunday is our Youth Sunday. We'll get to hear from the young people of our church on the theme of enough is enough. We're going to talk about Elijah and the providence of God for Elijah's great journey. 
but it'll also be a reminder of how our young people hear the stories of faith and hold them up against the stories of our world to the point where they just say, you know what, enough is enough, people. Let's learn to love. Let's learn to embrace. Let's learn to trust. What we need to do in Lent is to learn the pattern of enough. Taking that which is sufficient, lining it up with that which is possible. To realize that we have the opportunity to be the hand up, but also to reach to a God who is ready to be sufficient for you and for me. Learning the pattern of enough will allow us to see these ever-moving glimpses of God, where God is shimmering, seen, and moving, lighting in a new way. It's no easy thing to learn the pattern of enough. It requires trust. It requires some level of ambition. It requires writing a fine line between asking the question of, have I done enough? Am I worth it each day? and each moment, but in it is the Easter glory of a God who in Jesus Christ says, I am made complete in you, and I'm doing a new and a good thing. Is it easy to learn the pattern of enough? Probably not. That's why I'm grateful we're given six weeks in Lent to do it. God's blessings upon you in the midst of your journey. Would you join me in a moment of prayer?